Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome once again to the Believe in the Ravens podcast. I'm your host, Bo Smolka, joined by my co host, Daniel Wilcox, former Ravens tight end. And today we are going to break down the Ravens' 23-20 win over the Cleveland Browns. Another game that got too interesting too late as the Ravens took a 10-point lead in the second half again. The Browns cut it to three. The Browns get the ball back with a couple minutes left. And you're thinking, I can tell you in the stadium the feeling of dread hovered over that stadium like you've got to be kidding me. But the Ravens get a blocked field goal late in the game, and they hold on this time to win 23-20 and stay in first place in the AFC North. We will break down what went right, what went wrong in that game, and then where the Ravens go from here. It's a pretty favorable stretch they have coming up. But before we do that, I'll remind you that all Ravens podcasts, Believe in the Ravens podcasts, are brought to you by Bet Online, your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as you continued source for all sports information, Bet it features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, heading into the World Series, MMA, tennis, golf, and boxing. Head to BetOnline.ag and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your reward. Bet online where the game starts. And Daniel Wilcox, let's start here, breaking down this Ravens-Browns game. The Ravens announced on Saturday that Gus Edwards would come off the pup list and play for the first time in more than a year. Remember, he tore his ACL in preseason of the 2021 season. And after the game yesterday... Gus Edwards said it wasn't just his ACL, he also tore his MCL and his hamstring. Earlier this summer, I had someone with the Ravens tell me that Gus Edwards had shredded his knee and might not play all year. He comes back in this game, and boy, did they miss him. He goes 16 carries for 66 yards, scored two touchdowns, and he just brought that power back sense that this team hasn't had. And, and I mean, that's the way I see it. Daniel Wilcox, when you watch Gus Edwards run, 240 pounds of Gus Edwards running the ball downhill, what part of that game have the Ravens been missing without him? I mean, you said it, but it's the power game. I mean, he, he every time he had the ball in his hand, it was almost like people was moving out of the way. They knew what was coming, and they knew he, was, he wasn't going to stop running it hard all game long. And as the game went on, he only had 16 carries, but all 16 of them looked like they was impressive to me. Uh, even if he got hit in the backfield, you know, he was breaking tackles, he was dragging guys, and he was he was moving the power forward. And I just think it gives you a different confidence in short yardage when you got him and, you know, and Pat Ricard back there, man. I mean, you got two big big guys that could pretty much run through tackles and run through arm tackles, and it makes it harder for teams to, to play you. They know they have to come and take your legs away from you when you got a big back that could, that could power forward like us, man. And, you know, he still got, and, he, and he still looked good as far as speed, too. Shiftedness was still there. Uh, he, I just felt like he ran extremely well yesterday. It was really good seeing 35 back on the field, ball. The, the, the touchdown run, he had two touchdown runs, a seven-yard run off left tackle where he didn't get touched. Just uh, The blocking was really good. And he cred, after the game, he credited the, the, front, the offensive front for giving him holes. But his second touchdown run, it was fourth and one, a fourth and goal at the one. 
and the Ravens kept the offense on the field as they will usually do. And he just powered in. I mean, that was, there wasn't much room. He didn't make it in by much, but he is a strong enough guy that he got over and in. And remember, early in this season, they, they failed on several times down near the goal line trying to run the ball between the tackles with Mike Davis or Kenyon Drake. And so Gus Edwards, with that extra 25 pounds, whatever he has on those other backs, mm-hmm. it made a huge difference. And he scores two touchdowns. John Harbaugh said after the game, Gus Edwards is a one-of-a-kind kind of back, and he's different. He's built different than the other backs on this team, and it's big. It's a big thing for this team going forward that they have him, in part because what we learned on Saturday was J.K. Dobbins went to injured reserve. It turns out that J.K. Dobbins, and he hasn't quite looked perfect yet this year, he hasn't looked like the old J.K. Dobbins, and John Harbaugh said after the game that the scar tissue on his surgically repaired knee has just not, it's limited his range of motion. So he's going to go back and have an arthroscopic procedure and try to clean up that scar tissue, but that puts him out for at least four weeks. I mean, injured reserve is a minimum of four weeks you're out. It looks to be more of four to six weeks, so I think we'll probably see J.K. Dobbins late in the season. But having Gus Edwards come back now, just as J.K. Dobbins goes out, ideally you'd like them both, but it's really important that they get Gus Edwards back just as J.K. Dobbins goes out. So Gus Edwards back is one of the big, big takeaways from that game. And here's another interesting thing about this game yesterday. Again, the Ravens beat the Cleveland Browns 23-20. to If I told you, Daniel Wilcox, that Mark Andrews had no catches, would you expect the Ravens to have won the game? Um, yeah, I think the Ravens have so many weapons that they, they got, they definitely can win the game without getting the ball to Mark Andrews. I just, I don't, I don't know how you allow that to happen. I, I don't know, Bo. I, I get, I get so frustrated sometimes when I watch this game and I'm, I'm a tight end. So of course I'm on Mark Andrews side all day. You know, Isaiah likely did come up with some catches. So we still kept the tight end thing alive, but I just don't understand. Like, um, like, like I don't care who you play. Like Mark Andrews has to be a, a you know, a, a huge part of your game plan week in and week out. I don't, you know, and Lamar is going to find a way to get him the ball if he can. So, you know, we, I mean, he didn't have a, a lot of opportunities to throw the ball. I think he only threw the ball 16 times mm-hmm. and just through the whole game. It's it's kind of frustrating to, to not see you get the ball to your premier player. And um, it's like you, if you got elite players on your team, you got to find a way to get them the ball. Your job as an offensive coordinator is to put in plays for all your guys and to make sure all those guys stay happy. And and I don't think Mark Andrews is a selfish type of guy, you know, but it, it's it's one thing to not catch a ball because you was just running the ball so well. You ran the ball 44 times, only had 63 plays of offense, you know. So it's one thing to say we're going to dedicate the game to the run game, but those you you still have to find ways to get your, your premier guy the ball. And I think that's a, a, a oversight, you know, by the offensive coordinator that could probably bite him in the butt later on. You know, but I know there are some guys in Cleveland like, well, we shut Mark Andrews down. He didn't get a catch, you know, and that, that kind of catches up to you over time when you start hearing those little rumbles and you didn't shut me down. You didn't, they didn't throw me the ball, you know. <laughs> right. So it's it's the difference, you know, it's a big difference. If you threw me the ball 10 times and I come out with zero catches, then you can say you shut me down, you know, but they didn't throw me the ball 10 times at all, man. But, you know, I I I, I think I still think there's some things going on, in the, you know, on the offensive side of the ball in Baltimore in the coaching room and you know, maybe those guys are not communicating well enough or whatever, or, or maybe, you know, Greg Roman is just not listening to anyone else or whatever. And a lot of times when you're a coach and people got to understand this too. And I, I know I've understood it, you know, as being a coach, when you're a coach, if you're going to get fired, you want to get fired doing what you want to do. 
you know, not doing what everybody is telling you what to do. Right. So it's like, let me go out shooting my gun the way I want to shoot my gun. If and if I'm the CEO of a company or I'm the owner of a company or whatever, if, if I lose my company, if my company fail, I want to fail betting on me, not trying to implement what you're telling me to do. So there's a lot of things that comes that comes along with coaching when it comes to egos and and personalities and then having to deal with these things, man. But you got to find ways to get Mark Andrews the ball. I, I don't care. I mean, he was involved because he blocked the entire game and he, he don't seem like he complained at all. I mean, it just to me, you just got to find ways to get him the ball. It was clear. It was very clear that the Ravens' plan all along was they were going to attack the run. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you said, 44 rushes, and Lamar Jackson only threw 16 passes. Now he got sacked three times. So in theory, 44 rushes, 19 throws uh, or pass plays, and maybe one of those runs was supposed to be a pass, but a lot of design runs by Lamar Jackson. They clearly decided this Browns team gives up yardage on the ground. We're going to run the ball until they stop us, which we talked about last week trying to do. Mark Andrews was targeted just twice. Isaiah Likely, one catch, was the only catch by a tight end. Patrick Ricard, the fullback, had more catches, too, than all the tight ends combined. Again, Lamar Jackson was 9 for 16. It tied the fewest completions he's had in a game as a starter, not counting the one where he got hurt in Cleveland early in the game and had to leave. His 16 attempts is the fewest he's had as a starter, not counting that Cleveland game when he got hurt. But John Harbaugh said after the game, look, he, he, did, he did what we needed to do to win the game. There's a lot of ways you can win the game without throwing the ball a lot. And, and what John Harbaugh credited in terms of Lamar Jackson was handling the pressure. He didn't fumble on any of those times when those clowning and Garrett were in the backfield a lot. And he was able to avoid pressure at times. He was able to – he didn't make – essentially, he didn't make any of the disastrous plays that happened the week before when he got a strip sack and a – tried to make something happen that wasn't there and got an interception thrown. So to his credit, it wasn't a great game. Fantasy owners are not going to like Lamar Jackson's numbers at all. But you know what? They will say we won the game. The crazy or the most creative play for this team actually was, it did involve Mark Andrews. The Ravens had fourth and one just over midfield. They lined up to go for it. And Mark Andrews was under center as the quarterback. And, and Lamar Jackson was in the backfield. Now, they showed this, they showed this look a couple times earlier this year. On one of, and, and you know, these teams study all the film. So there's no doubt the Browns had seen this formation. And when the Ravens used it last time, Mark Andrews kept it on a quarterback sneak. And the only other time they set it up like this way, uh, the Ravens ended up calling timeout and did not run the play. But so here they come. Andrews under center on fourth and one. Jackson's in the backfield. I can almost guarantee you the Browns expected Andrews to keep on a quarterback sneak because that what was on tape. Instead, Andrews tosses it to Jackson, almost like a toss sweep. And here's Jackson, the running back, and he gets 11 yards and a first down. And uh, John Harbaugh said after the game that was a play they'd worked on for a month. And he was glad that it worked because he thought it's blocked really well. He thought it's a great, really creative play. So of all the ways that Mark Andrews got involved in this game, it basically, as the quarterback, is the one that did it. What, what, what did you think of that play? I actually loved it, man. Um, I, I love that side of, of of offense when you get creative. You know, nobody else in the NFL is doing that type of stuff. When you do see it, it makes you smile a little bit. But, you know, a lot of other teams are starting to use their tight ends as quarterbacks and stuff as well. So, obviously, it's rubbing off on other teams. Um, that was stuff that would never happen when I was in the league. We had me and Todd Heap. They never put us underneath the center to do anything. <laughs> you know, they put us in the backfield, but most of the time it was only to block. It wasn't to run the ball or anything like that. 
you know. So I mean, it's, I thought it was really creative, a really good play, and and it and it creates some excitement. I think you know around the league and around your team and around you know the offensive linemen get excited about it. You know, the quarterback gets excited about it. You know, you know, Mark definitely gets excited about it. But I get a snap on the quarterback. You know, so I mean, it's just one more thing to add to his awesomeness, man. And I just think that's one of the things I think I like most about you know what Greg Roman is doing because this is a this this offense isn't really complex. You know, so you have to take things like like that and formations and and you know sh- shifting people around and using your athleticism that you do have, you know, to to create these new opportunities for guys. And Lamar took that top that top sweep to the left, and he I mean he took off with it, man. Mm-hmm. You know, one or two blocks, and I ain't no telling he probably end up in the end zone easily. So um, it was a great it was a great design and a great play. And usually most of these plays you're gonna get at least twenty thirty reps at them before you call them in the game. Um, a little disappointed. I think I ain't see Duvernay more. You know, more involved still. You know, that that's that bow. I'm telling you, man. Like uh, it's so frustrating as a player when you got the hot hand and not get the ball enough. So you're talking about Kenyon Drake. You know, two weeks ago where he had a hundred and some mm-hmm. yards off ten carries. They didn't get him the ball enough. Then they come back this week and they run it 44 times because Harbaugh went and said, "Bro, we got to run the ball." You know, like what are we doing? Like we're not running the ball enough. You know, this guy had a hundred some yards rushing of ten carries, and we ain't running the ball enough. We lose the freaking game. And you know, it, it, it's one of those situations where you come back and you try to fix things. And I think you kind of overdid it a little bit. You know, and not saying that you know running the ball forty four times was a bad thing because you control the clock as well. You want the time to possession battle. Right. You want a turnover battle. You want a special teams battle. And then you and then you you kept them off the field. You know, you kept them off the field for an extra twelve or thirteen minutes than you had. You know, they both had ten possessions. You know, they just didn't, they just couldn't, you know, hold on to the ball as long as Baltimore did by pounding the rock, you know, but you got to find ways to get your playmakers the ball. Like, I don't know how you do it with such a talented team and you only usually average about 60 plays a game, you know, so it's almost, you got five, six guys on the team that I feel like deserve the ball. You know, Kenyon Drake, he earned it that one game. So you got to figure out a way to continue give him a, if he got the high hand, give it to him. You know, that's what you got to do every game. If Mark Andrews is hot, you get, get it to him, you know. Somebody can't cover Mark Andrews, throw it to him until they find somebody to cover him. You know, um, Duvernay, you know, you got to have you got to have at least four or five explosive plays for him every single week. I mean, he's showing to be serious, like serious talent. Mm-hmm. You know, and you said, boy, you said it yourself, boy, every time he touched the ball for years, you know, something great happens. It and then you got way. Bateman back. Yeah, you got way. Bateman back. Yeah, yep. you got Bateman back. Feet, they got feet of horses, man. You know what I'm saying? Tell them, Bo. Well, du- Duvernay, Duvernay caught a 31-yard pass down the right sideline on the first drive of the game. A great catch. Great throw, great catch. catch. And he had one other catch the rest of the game. He was very quiet after that, except for the punt return, which we'll get to special teams in a minute. Let's talk about the Ravens' defense briefly because I thought, you know, one of the encouraging things of this team yesterday, they had a season-high five sacks. Justin Houston had sacks on back-to-back plays. He had missed three straight games. He only played, if I'm not mistaken, about 16 snaps, and he had two sacks. And I think that's what they would love to have out of him. They, the longer he plays, then the more worn down he gets and the more likely he is to get hurt again. I mean, he's 33 years yeah. old. But he he's had two guy. sacks. I, I really feel like this pass rush is rounding into form because he's he's looking really good. And then remember, they got Jason Pierre-Paul. They had Adafe Oe, who's been quiet, still looking for more from him. But they're about to get Tyus Bowser back. They're about to get David Ajabo, their second-round draft pick, who a lot of people figure was a first-round talent who actually slipped in the draft because he had gotten hurt. Both Mm -hmm. those guys have returned to practice, so probably within the next two weeks, they'll be on the field. Now you've you've pretty much got the edge rush group that you hope to have in June. And then in the game yesterday, 
Kyle Hamilton, who's really taken a beating in terms of the fans around here as the number one draft pick who hasn't shown a whole lot this year, had a big sack, his first one. I tell you, Mike McDonald called an aggressive blitz with the Browns driving on third down. He brought Queen, he brought Stone, and he brought Hamilton. They all came on a blitz. And Stone just missed him, and then Hamilton hammered him. If Hamilton didn't get him, then Queen would have got him. But it was, a, it was an aggressive call because they had just given up a big, deep pass play. But Mike McDonald didn't blink, and he brought the blitz on third down, and Hamilton got there for his first sack. So I think it's encouraging for this team that it feels like this pass rush, which I know we've criticized, looks like it's rounding into form, and they're getting reinforcements back soon in the, in the form of Bowser and a Jabo, and that's going to be good for this team going forward. All right, Daniel Wilcox, you always tell me win two of the three phases in the game, offense, defense, special teams, right? If you win two of the three, you're probably going to win the game. The Ravens crushed it on special teams yesterday. And I know we often talk about Justin Tucker, and when you think special teams, you think Justin Tucker. But this test special teams unit yesterday excelled in just about all phases, and you mentioned Duvernay. But before we get to Duvernay, there was a sequence – And I know you weren't at the stadium, but I'm telling you in the stadium, the Ravens have dominated the first quarter this year. We talked about that going into the game yesterday, they had outscored the opposition 34 to three, just, they got off to great starts. It was the finishes that were the problem yesterday. The Browns come out and just march down the field, just almost just effortlessly and score. And you're thinking, wait a minute, what, what happened here? The Ravens get down the field, they get stalled. The Browns score, it's 10 to three and, and it, it doesn't feel good in that stadium. It just did, it felt off. And then the Ravens are forced to punt, trailing 10-3. to And the Browns are going to get the ball back again. And Jordan Stout punts, and it goes out of bounds. Or they, they, The Browns are going to have the ball at about the 25-yard line. But on the play previous to that, Lamar Jackson had scrambled around. It looked like maybe his knee had gone down. He ran forward for about seven or eight more yards, was tackled, fourth down. Just before Jordan Stout punted, the Browns threw a challenge flag. So that wiped out the punt. That We saw the punt happen, and the Browns would have had the ball about the 25. They challenged the play. It seemed like a strange challenge because they were only going to gain like six yards. It wasn't going to change the difference of whether they got a first down or not. The Browns lose the challenge, so Stout has to punt again, and Stout, Stout absolutely crushes a punt. The Browns have to go back, and I think it was Peoples-Jones feels it inside his 10. Honestly, it went so far that he probably should have let it bounce into the end zone, but he feels it inside the 10. He gets hit. The Browns have to start, I think, at the 12-yard line. The Ravens get hit. They hit the Browns for losses, back-to-back plays, and finally you feel like there's some momentum, and the Ravens are, are to life here, and the stadium comes to life. They force a quick punt, and then you mentioned Duvernay. Duvernay returns that punt about 45 yards down the sideline, almost to the to the red zone, and the Ravens get a field goal. They got stopped to a field goal there, which was a problem. But I'm telling you, that Jordan Stout punt and the Devin Duvernay punt return, it changed the feeling in that stadium. It just did. And so I, I think that, special, that was the start of a really good special teams day for the Ravens. But, right. I mean, we talked uh, – <clears throat> we'll talk about Duvernay again. Uh, Duvernay was a Pro Bowl punt returner last year. I think he'll be a Pro Bowl punt returner again this year. Duvernay on the punt return. What what do you think makes him so good at it? Duvernay to me is is just a special guy. You know he he has that 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 twitch and and this is always a key factor in the NFL. If you're going to be able to return punts or kicks, you have to be able to make two guys miss. And Duvernay can make two guys miss with the best of them. You know, and that's what makes him special. You know, you're going to always block. You know, nine. You're going to block nine guys. 
he got to make he got to handle the other two himself, the punter or the kickoff return, the kickoff guy, the kicker. He got to handle the kicker himself, the punter himself, and he got to handle one other guy. Usually, it's that first guy that gets down mm-hmm. the field scot free. And on punt return, when you miss a block, the key is to go next level. When I say go next level, that means go get the next man. Forget the guy that you miss because it's your kickoff or your punt return guy. It's his uh, it's his chance to make that guy miss. So if you run back there to try to block that guy that you miss, you're usually going to end up with a penalty. You're going to block somebody in the back or you're going to be in a way and run into your own your own punt returner. You know, I've done that before myself. I, I chased the guy back. I missed the block and I was chasing back to get in a position and I ran into my own punt returner and made the freaking tackle. You know, that's the worst thing you could possibly do, right? You interfere, you block the guy, you trip up your guy, whatever it may be because you're in the way. Just put your foot in the ground, go next level. And the Ravens are doing that very well. They're going next level, you know, right away. And Lynn Duvernay, you know, handle the one or two, three guys that come free. Um, there are always going to be some guys that's going to come free. And the goal is to hold up those gunners because they're usually the fastest guys on the field. If you can get them out of bounds, you know, every time they try to run down the field, then you're doing very good on, on the defensive side of the ball, on the punt return side of the ball. You know, but Duvernay has at every 10 yards, Bo. So the goal when you get a punt return is to get 10 yards if you're a returner. You know, every 10 yards you get as a returner, that's considered a first down. So if you get a 40-yard return, that's four first downs mm-hmm. that you just accounted for for your offense. And that's how we look at it, and we flip field position. We're always trying to flip field position. So if we can control the field position battle, you try to kick us back way back deep, and then we return it 40 yards. We just we just knocked out 40 yards of that punt. If it's, if it's only a 40-yard punt, then that punt didn't mean anything. You know, we basically got the ball right where we was going to get it if you turned it over. You know, so it's huge, man. You be able, you're able to flip the field position battle with special teams and and the Ravens special teams. I think their punt return unit right now is ranked number two in the whole league, and it shows, man. And Duvernay is a huge part of why it's like that. He's doing a phenomenal job, man. He's not, you know, he shows no fear. You know, he has a really quick step as soon as he catches the ball. He sees it in. He haven't muffed one or fumbled a bunch of them or anything like that this year. And he just he catches the ball really naturally back there. He got natural hands for a punt returner, and I think I think he's a phenomenal athlete that's underutilized for the for the Ravens. It's funny you mentioned cr- running into your own punter to make a tackle. I remember a few years ago, Brendan Trawick, I believe it was, that ran into Jacoby Jones, and Jacoby Jones got hurt on the play. Yeah, uh, which there's a lot of traffic on those punt returns, right? It I mean, is. there's a lot of traffic moving a lot of different ways. And you mentioned Devin Duvernay and, and John Harbaugh will stress he's a special teams coach at heart, and he will stress mm-hmm. all the time that it's 11 guys on that punt return unit. And yeah, Duvernay is a big part of it, but every blocker is as well. He really nice. praised Duvernay on that long punt return yesterday for his patience. He kind of read the blocks and and hesitated just long enough for one of his backside blockers, I forget which one it was, to kind of get in position. He recognized that if he if he broke too fast toward the sound yeah. toward the boundary, he would get cut off. But he waited, the, the block was clean, and then he got up the sideline. So he's a really talented punt returner. And and he as he you is. said, that, that was about a ten yard difference in in net punt in terms of the punt plus right. minus the return. So right. it did. And it put them in field goal range immediately. The Ravens ended up scoring on their next two, that possession and the next one on the first of Gus Edwards' touchdowns, and that put them in the lead for good. So I thought the stout punt and then the Duvernay punt return in that sequence of about five minutes really changed the game to the Ravens' favor on special teams. And then, of course, Justin Tucker, because he's Justin Tucker, three field goals, including a 55-yarder. His 62nd, 62nd straight kick he's made in the fourth quarter or overtime. It's incredible. And that's a 55-yarder. This isn't a gimme. 55-yarder in the fourth quarter. They trot him out there with no hesitation, and he absolutely drills it. And then, of course, the biggest play of the game, or not one of the biggest plays of the game. They're all big, but the Browns have a chance to tie 
Again, Justice Hill fumbles late in the game. The Browns have the ball back. They complete a long pass down the sideline. It looks like they might have hit a game-winning or go-ahead touchdown, but it's offensive pass interference, which was pretty obviously uh, the call. And John Harbaugh said his, you know, the flag goes down and fans are going crazy because the thought was call was going to be on Marcus Peters. John Harbaugh said after the game, his guys in his headset said right away, that's going to be offensive. He pushed off, he pushed off. But you never know. You really never know the way the referee is going to call it. They did call offensive interference, back the Browns up, out of field goal range, really. Then they run one play. They get close to field goal range. It's going to be a 55-yard try. And then they line up for the field goal. There's movement. They both, both sides uh, Ravens jump, Browns jump. There's a long discussion by the referees. And this is a huge discussion because if they move that ball up and call the penalty on the Ravens, it's a 50-yard field goal. If they move the ball back, calling the penalty on the Browns, it's a 60-yard field goal. A huge difference in that call. The call went the Ravens' way. They ended up calling a penalty on the Browns. The Browns people were not happy afterwards. The coach, Kevin Stefanski, said, I haven't got a good explanation for the call. John Harbaugh on his side of the field said he saw two things. One, he saw the left, he called it the left tight end, essentially the guy on the left side of the line. He saw the guy on the left side of the line move early. He also said he thought the center lifted the ball and and to get set for the snap. And and that's not allowed. And and Harbaugh thought the penalty the center should have been called for a penalty as well. He thought that's what triggered Calais Campbell to jump. Now, Calais Campbell jumped early but didn't make contact and theoretically could have jumped back. Broderick Washington, I believe it was, did make contact. And then there was the big, long discussion. Huge discussion. Huge, huge ruling that went the Ravens' way. So instead, now the Browns have a 60-yard field goal try from Cade York. And it came out low, and Malik Harrison blocks it. Actually blocked it with his helmet. He said it hit him right in the face mask. And the Ravens hang on to win. Oh, my word. Let me ask you, special teams man, did you ever block a kick? Well, they usually don't ever put offensive guys on, on the field goal block team, so I never got a chance to block a field goal. But I did block a punt. Me and Ed Reed, we blocked a punt against San Diego, and it was actually against, um, I think it was Cypress or something like uh-huh. that. He used to punt for San Francisco, um, Fran, not San Fran, but San Diego. He was actually with the same agency as me. Oh. But um, me and Reed both blocked it at the same time. We both got to the punter. We didn't know who should block it. We didn't want to dive and hit each other because we were coming from <laughs> opposite ends, right? You know, so we both kind of led up, but we both got a piece of it, and um, and it was a it, it went past the line of scrimmage, unfortunately, because we didn't block it. No, neither one of us extended because we both saw each other. Mm. You know, so we slowed down, but um, we both got a chance to block that punt. But that was the only one that I ever got a chance to really block my entire career. And um, and I, I was I felt like I was extremely good on punt return, and I, I probably could have blocked more. Um, but I, I just never had really had the opportunity. I guess I don't know. You mm-hmm. know, usually punt blocks are designed. And the guy that comes free is the guy that designed to come free. And it's very, very rare where somebody just blow a freaking punt protection. They just block the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. And you're sending it up to the design it so that they do get confused. But it's barely, it, it very seldom, rarely happens where they block the wrong guy and somebody comes scot-free up the middle. But, I mean, punt return is one of those 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 things, man. Or, or, or even field goal block is one of those things where it's loaded with defensive guys. Mm-hmm. And those guys usually are, you know, humming. And you set the return, you set the block to the side to the wide side of the field. You know, they got to kick the field goal to the left, so your block's coming from that left side, which is the defensive right. You know, mm-hmm. so you're going to scheme them up on purpose to, to, you know, to make it even harder for them to kick that ball across the field, you know, to the to the uprights. And, um, I mean, it, it was it's an awesome opportunity anytime you get a chance to block a kick and win a game. 
you know, and instead of going into overtime, like most of these games, you know, try to choose nowadays, man, um, you get the big win right there during regulation and, it, you know, everybody's excited and pumped and there's no, there's no better feeling to see everybody wait for that last second kick and they don't get it. And then everybody's turned around and start leaving the stadium and they all excited <laughs> that we won, man. It's a great feeling. Well, you can see the Ravens, the Ravens kick block unit includes six foot eight, Clay's Campbell, six foot Absolutely. seven, Brent Urban. They're right in the middle of that thing, getting that big paw up. Now Harrison said after the game on the earlier field goal by Cade York, he didn't block it, but he felt it. He heard it kind of whiz by his head. He knew it was a low kick, and I. But mm-hmm. I, he thought York was just naturally kicking the ball low. I actually, if I went back, I have to watch it on tape again. But I'm pretty sure that was a the hold and the snap weren't completely yeah. clean on that one, and so I think that's one reason why it came out lower than it might have otherwise. But Harrison said he almost got the first one or the earlier one. He heard it right near his head, right. um, and then on the sixty yarder. John Harbaugh and Justin Tucker will both say, you know, on a longer kicks, kickers know they've got to start that ball on a lower trajectory or it's not going to get to 60 yards. So right. instinctively, the ball's going to come out lower, but it came out so low that Harrison actually hit it with his helmet. His hand was another two feet higher, but you, you never know. It could miss the hand. It could be to the left or the right of the hand, but Harrison blocks it and the Ravens hold on to win 23 to 20. They can exhale and they're four and three atop the division, but... They can't exhale for long because now they have a Thursday night game at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay has basically looks broken right now. I mean, Tom yeah. Brady looks like he's kind of finished, and it's dangerous to think that, but that's the way that team is looking right now. They got beat badly by Carolina on Sunday, and so that that's who the Ravens face. But after Tampa Bay, the Ravens face four straight teams whose records right now are 2-5. and five. So the Ravens have a chance here to get something going. They face the Saints. They face the Broncos. They face the Panthers. They've got a chance to to get something going here. But it starts with this game at Tampa Bay on Thursday night. Last year, Thursday night, the Ravens had to go on the road, and they got routed by Miami. They just didn't look ready to play. Right. They can't. They obviously cannot have that happen again. But let me ask you, you were a player for a long time. What's the biggest challenge as a player to dealing with these Thursday night games and especially a Thursday night road game? It's no thing at all when you're a young guy, but when you're a, when you're an older guy, your body needs more time to heal. You know, so you only get six days in between games, and and, and during those six days, it's usually like that next day you come in. You know, so we play Sunday, so we come home, we come to work Monday, and we get to work Monday. You know, if you win, sometimes you get victory Monday, you get Monday off. But even if you get Monday off, you still got treatment two or three times that day, you know. So but normally you come in and you get a light lift in and a run in, just try to get the soreness out. I've never understood how that worked. We sore as crap. So we're going to run the soreness out. But anyway, <laughs> that's what we do. And then Tuesday is our mandatory day off. You know, a lot of us take time in, on our day off on Tuesdays to do things in the community or do things with your family, you know, or you still got to get treatment even on Tuesday. If you hurt, you got any kind of injuries, you got treatment two, three times that day. So it takes up most of the day, you know, 6 a.m. treatment, you know, 12 o'clock treatment, then probably four or six o'clock treatment. You know, you still got that all day. You know, then Wednesday you come in, that's when you start implementing the game plan. So if you're playing a Thursday night game, Wednesday is normally your day you implement the game plan. You know, so now all that stuff gets shortened. You don't have a Tuesday off. You don't get a Monday off. You know, you got to work mm-hmm. through those days. Monday is now your Wednesday. Thir- Tuesday is now your your freaking Thursday. And then, you know, um, Wednesday is now your Friday where you're doing like a light walkthrough type, you know, full speed walkthrough with helmets and jerseys on. And then you play on Friday. You're traveling Friday. You're going, you, I mean, you're traveling, um, you're traveling on Wednesday. 
that would you would normally travel on Saturday. So it kind of mm-hmm. shortens your entire week. You don't really get any days off or you have to get treatment every day, all day and nonstop. So those older guys that usually my last season, Bo, I'm telling you, like I literally started to feel good Saturday morning and we played Sunday. <laughs> I was sore as crap all week. My body just wasn't healing as fast as it used to. And that was part of the reason why I retired. You know, you start getting banged up and beat up and you get to that Saturday morning and you wake up, oh, just starting not to feel the soreness. And then you go beat yourself up the very next day on Sunday. And then you do it all over again, you know. So those younger guys get a chance to heal a little bit faster. But the older you get, like the Clares Campbells and company, I guarantee you, boy, he's going to feel this Thursday night game. John Harbaugh said last week that he was kind of rationing workload for these guys at practice, knowing what yeah. that they have two games in five days. And Mark Andrews didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday last week. And and he, he was listed as limited with a knee injury on Friday. But yeah. John Harbaugh said, look, he needs the time off. We've had a lot of reps. We've got two games in five days. And I expect this week there will be a lot of rest days for guys like Campbell, Justin Houston, Absolutely. those guys. and Because they play Thursday. They're, they're going to practice on Monday night. They'll practice Tuesday. And as you said, they'll walk through Wednesday and they go and they play Thursday. If they right. win, if they win, they have the benefit of that of that weekend off, which is the, the, the mini buy, which everyone loves if mm-hmm. you win on Thursday. But you take the Ravens game last Thursday in Miami, they lose that game, and then they got to sit around all weekend stewing over that one before they get into the rhythm of the next one. So Thursday night games are always a challenge, but I think the Ravens, with the win yesterday, they're in a better spot. Obviously, we talked last week, their record is what it is, but they're 4-3 and and in first place, and they pushed the Browns further back. They sent the Browns to 2-5. and They're two games out now. And as I said, this Ravens schedule coming up, uh, they have the, the teams they face in the next five games are four and three, two and five, two and five, two and five, and two and five before they right. really hit that closing stretch of an AFC North game. So this is a chance for them to start to build something if they're going to do it. It's not easy going to Tampa Bay. It's not easy facing Tom Brady. And it's not easy playing on the road on Thursday night, but the Ravens have a chance to find. They haven't won two games in a row all year. It's been win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. They have a chance to get something going. I mean, I was thinking, Daniel, even if they go 4-1 and one in these games, let's say they stub yeah. their toe in one of them, they should be favored in most of them. But if they go 4-1, and one, they're 8-4 and four at that point in the season, and that's a good place to be in this division because I think 10 wins might win this division. So the chance is there for them. they got to take it, but the chance is there for them. So that'll be the Ravens and the Buccaneers from Tampa Bay on Thursday night. For Ravens, tight end Daniel Wilcox, this is Spo Smolka on the Believe in the Ravens podcast presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.